Hey guys, welcome to Nerdium, a place where we hit the old pause button on being an adult and discuss the important things affecting our world like who played the better Batman, did Greedo shoot first, or what video game helped warp our childhoods. I'm your host Matt, and to my left, the Samwise to my Frodo, except in a platonic way, my co-host Carrie. This week's episode, Carrie and I discuss the latest installment to the Star Trek franchise, Discovery, as well as weigh in on who our favorite captains are. So with no further delay, Carrie, when you're ready, engage. It's Carrie and Matt. Instead of our award-winning news segment, we just wanted to take some time to thank you folks for downloading, writing to us, and pushing our follower count up to 300, Matt? Yeah, it's up to uh, 302. Ooh, breaking the 300. Yeah. Now, we greatly appreciate those of you who are getting involved, reaching out, and making it a point to push the show along. Uh, so with our heartfelt thanks, let's get the show started. All right. So this week's uh, episode is all about Star Trek. We'll be talking about our favorite Star Trek captains, going over maybe a few of the, the ones that weren't so great, but also uh, the second part of the episode will be all about uh, the newest series, Discovery. So who are you saying is your favorite captain? So it's toss-up for between two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big fan of Picard, but I'm going to go with Kirk. You're going to go with Kirk? Yeah. All right, I more or less went the same two. But I'll lean on Picard. You lean on Picard? Sure. And I'm going with the original series, Kirk, not the reboot Kirk. Reboot Kirk's good for a laugh, but the uh, original series, Kirk, is uh, good for uh, kind of kicking off the series. I, you know, I don't disagree with that. I think that's a fair analysis of what's going on with those two. Yeah. I, uh, I've read a lot of reviews. Uh, I, I, I have to agree with those that say the reboot doesn't have the same heart. You know, it's good. It's a good popcorn movie, mm-hmm. but it seems to be missing that which made the original Star Trek special. Yeah, kind of. But then again, the original Star Trek only lasted, what was it, four or five seasons and then got canceled. So I think people forget about how how crappy some of the original series was. Like, you get the floating green hand, you get the alien species that is, uh, like, Greek gods. You <laughs> kind of... But then again, it had its charm, though, its campiness. Well, that's just it, right? Like, even when you watch some of the classic sci-fi shows, you get a lot of campy. Sure. Like, even if you go through, like, Doctor Who, uh, Battlestar Galactica, even, like, more of the not-as-classic shows, but even retro uh, shows like Red Dwarf okay. and a couple of the others, they do get pretty campy. Yeah. You know, even now, uh, I went back and I started re-watching The Next Generation, Okay. Even that gets pretty cheesy after a while. That's true, yeah. And there's some episodes where I've just been like, ugh. Ugh. Okay, so let's lay out the uh, Starfleet captains, and we'll start with original series Kirk. Uh, he's kind of the uh, space cowboy, acts like a uh, sailor on shore leave. <laughs> he doesn't act like a typical captain. He's not uh, clean-cut like Picard. And then we go to the next generation with Picard, which is more suited for diplomacy. He's more of an intellectual. He was, but he was also very stiff. He was. Like at the very beginning uh, in Encounter at Farpoint, 
I remember him telling Riker, like, I'm going to need your help dealing with kids. Like the Enterprise, he knew the Enterprise was going to have families. It was going to be an atmosphere that he wasn't comfortable in. He was very much a military order captain. Yeah. Bad call on Starfleet putting families on a a spaceship, a military spaceship. You know, it's just like a... Well, it was supposed to be like an exploration vessel. Yes. But even then, you're going to like, you have no idea what you're going into. Yeah. And you're on a giant war machine. I'm like, eh. I mean, it's the equivalent of putting families on aircraft carriers. Exactly. Uh, then we go from there to uh, Deep Space Nine, which is pretty much just Mayor Cisco of a space station. He's not much of a captain. <laughs> he was a captain. He was a captain, but he wasn't much of a captain. Like No, the Borg made quick work of his ship. Yeah, and his wife. Burn. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's... That uh, series kind of took a little bit more of a darker tone with the whole Star Trek uh, universe. It uh, focused a lot on the uh, Dominion War. I think that was mo- almost half the series was based on that, was the, the war. Well, that was when, uh, I guess, their viewership was starting to go down and they needed to kind of do a bit of a rewrite. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, how much story can you have with just the people on a space station and that's it? Like yeah. all the other Star Treks, they had a ship that was moving around. Yeah. They could go to different places, meet different species. Uh, the space station is whoever's coming and going. And yeah, it kind of turned into like a, a sci-fi episode of Cheers, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was popping in for that week. <laughs> it was. like I kind of fell out of that series just before the Dominion War. Yeah. So I kind of missed out on a lot of that aspect. But it was even even before the Dominion War, it was a much darker uh, tone show. Mm-hmm. I fell out of the uh, that series a little bit too, and I came back and rewatched it because I heard about the uh, Dominion War and how good it was, and it was actually it did a lot better. It was a lot less uh, holodeck baseball. It's still a lot of Cisco just yelling at people and talking to himself, doing monologues, which was wasn't like captain's logs they were like him doing monologues yeah. in his quarters and it was getting a little preachy sometimes talking about the feelings yeah and all his feelings yeah and then uh, it was interesting because they also they started out with the series touching on how uh, his wife died at the uh, battle of wolf 359 against the borg and uh, he blamed picard mm-hmm. for the death of his wife because well that's because picard was locutus yeah at the time but then they don't really kind of use that at all like there's no guest appearance by picard where i don't think there is where he the pilot at the very beginning you see the enterprise docked at deep space nine mm-hmm. picard is going in and he's explaining to cisco that you're now the commander of the space station and cisco is basically just gnashing his teeth wanting to rip into picard yeah and they do have that discussion of what's your problem with me uh, but they never really revisit it no it's mm-hmm. just it it they use the Enterprise being there as like the send off to the series. Like this is happening alongside of us and off you go. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of like uh, Picard being like, Yeah, I killed your wife and now I'm putting you in charge of a gas station. <laughs> Tote, sorry, you're the boss. Goodbye. Yeah. Here's the keys. <laughs> yeah. Like I really was hoping they were gonna push that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But then it was just him trying to deal with all the the problems on the station. Like, they were focusing on all the other cultural aspects, like with the Cardassians and the Bajorans, and then everything between, 
and the cultural wars that were going on between the different species. And it was good, but I found after the first season or two, I had to kind of back away. Yeah. Like you said, it was be- it was becoming Cheers in Space. <laughs> and then uh, we went off with the next series, which was pretty well done for the most part. It kind of lagged a little bit in the middle, um, but Star Trek Voyager. Did you like Voyager? Uh, once again, it it started out like I think maybe the first season or two I enjoyed, and then I didn't enjoy anything till really the last season. I and couldn't get into it. The last, or there's a few episodes here and there that were interesting. It was the first female captain, mm-hmm. and it was bold because it was them being sent off to the far corner of the Delta Quadrant, and uh, basically you're just gonna sit there and just encounter all kinds of new species and planets that you didn't previously encounter in Star Trek. So that was interesting. But then all of a sudden, all of these other Alpha Quadrant, Beta Quadrant species started exactly. showing up because they also got cast out there. And it just seemed like the the Delta Quadrant material wasn't strong enough to stand on its own, so they started leaning on the other stuff. Well, and I then, find with situations like that, especially with a series like Star Trek, they want to kind of pander to that solid fan base. Mm-hmm. There's a great deal of fans that don't want to see too much new stuff. Yeah. They like a good mix of the old with the new, but they really want to make sure that old is there. Yeah. And I think they did a great job with it. I Like, for me personally, I, I just never got into it. It was good when they kind of locked onto the mains being the Borg, mm-hmm. and that's where their fight was primarily with. Like, as they're getting closer to finding a way home, the Borg started kind of nipping at their heels a little bit more, and things started getting a little bit more interesting the pressure was on, so it kind of made it a little bit more exciting to watch. A little less uh, of the kind of crazy science of Tom Paris inventing a shuttle that goes warp 10 and then he devolves or <laughs> evolves or does whatever, turns into a reptilian human thing. Yeah, I heard about all that. That ends up kidnapping Janeway, taking her for a ride in his little magic spaceship, turning her into an alien reptilian thing, and then they ended up Hooking up and then uh, going to a like planet. You do. And, yeah. yeah. Going to a planet and then leaving eggs there and then they, they never, like, neither talk about it after. When it goes back, like, they don't ever bring up, like, hey, remember that time that we made all those eggs and left it on that planet? Well, you know how it is when you get taken on a ride, turned into a reptile, sleep with the person that kidnapped you, leave the eggs? Yeah, fair enough. You're just really not looking to talk about it ever again. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that one uh, actually enjoyed. Voyager kind of really started talking about uh, the temporal kind of side of the Starfleet where they had time mm, travel. Yeah. And they started playing with it a little bit more. Um, the last episode, which was a two-hour long episode, was actually really well done. It was them eventually getting back to uh, back to Earth. Um, I do remember watching that one because long after the series had ended, I had heard about the fight with the Borg Queen and how Admiral Janeway, quote-unquote, mm-hmm was traveling through time and all this stuff. So I did dedicate some time to watch the end of it. Yeah. But that was pretty much my investment in that series. I was there at the beginning. I was there at the end. And I wasn't upset that I missed everything in the middle. Yeah. Well, you're pretty much okay there. Like, you just had to see her still the the Klingon technology there that gave her enough gigawatts to go back. The whole time travel thing kind of also brought us into the next series, which was Enterprise. Ah, I was so disappointed with that. It had a lot of potential, but I think they leaned way too heavy at the beginning on the uh, time travel stuff. 
Yeah, they they threw that in real quick. I even I was kind of taken back by that. Yeah, it was. I remember watching the first few episodes, and it was all hints of this is where holodecks come from, this is where this come from, this is where that come from, and I was like, okay, I, I can feed off that. Sure, why not? Let's yeah. have some fun with that. For me, that series came to a grinding halt when they did the Zindi arc. Okay, yeah. And it was all trying to stop the Zindi from destroying Earth and all this sort of stuff. It seemed to slow the series down. And the next couple of seasons were actually stellar. Mm-hmm. Like, really good. Uh, my favorite episodes were the Mirror Universe episodes. Okay, yeah, those were good. You know, like, I was really into it. But I don't think they ever recovered from that initial Zindi problem. No. I also enjoyed the episodes where uh, they started kind of introducing the Romulans. And mm-hmm. it started kind of lean, or started going towards uh, the uh, Romulan Earth War. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, they leaned a lot on the time travel at the beginning. And also, uh, Captain Archer was a decent enough captain. He just seemed like he was more of a person that knew the technology or the operations of a ship. And that's why he was made captain, because he didn't really know anything about military kind of strategy. Uh, he wasn't really a good diplomat. No, he was horrible at that job. Yeah. For, for a guy who becomes one of the founders of Starfleet, yeah, I can't not Starfleet, uh, the Federation. Yeah. I can't say he'd be very good at that job. Well, I think he <laughs> everything even, we saw. I think he even says that in like the final episode where he's like talking about uh, he thinks he was wrongly picked for that job. Yeah. But he still does it. Um, I guess Ziggy helped him out or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so they got to the next leap home, I guess. <laughs> I did think it was kind of funny uh, when he was the captain. Yeah. I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> what has he been in lately? Not really outside of Quantum. I mean, I know he's been in stuff. Yeah. But he's always Quantum Leap. And then we had the long period of nothing for a while. And then we had the uh, reboot movie series. That we'll just briefly touch on because we're not going to kind of pull it away from the TV series, but uh, the movies were fairly well done. Uh, it was kind of a new way of looking at old Trek. I didn't mind the the relook at it. It was entertaining. But it was, for for me being a Trekkie fan, mm-hmm. it was a little too distracting knowing these characters prior to, you know, the quote-unquote Kelvin timeline. Yeah, and like, so you're kind of like waiting on the edge of your seat for them to say one of their catchphrases from the original series. And I would have settled for that. Yeah, sure. But a lot of the changes, the mentality of the characters, like Spock's got a big case of the feels for Uhura. But I mean, Kirk is still, I mean, Kirk's still Kirk. He's running around womanizing and doing his thing. My favorite takeaway from those three movies was Dr. McCoy. Carl Urban did a really good job. Uh, Chris Pine did a really good job at playing Kirk. I thought he, Short of doing the kind of really broken up speech that Kirk does when he talks, uh, I'm not even going to try and do an impression right now. I was practicing earlier for the show and... Just didn't come through? It, a mix of didn't come through and I just didn't want to kind of not do it justice. But uh, yeah, he, I thought he did a really good job at playing the uh, the plucky space cowboy. The first movie he was hooking up with aliens left and right. Um and he was kind of resisting and kind of he was kind of defying the typical military role. Yeah. Uh he was more of a rebel, which is kind of how the original It does kind of play up to the original Kirk. Yeah. Because he wasn't exactly one to always follow the rules. 
even if you watch the motion pictures and stuff like that, you can see where he clearly deviates from Starfleet mm-hmm. on like a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so then we go to uh, Star Trek Discovery, but before break up the conversation here a little bit for just a minute uh we'll just touch on who our favorite captains were okay just kind of go over a little bit so we kind of briefly went over it and i said kirk uh from the original series so the legendary william shatner and it was just enjoyable because he was kind of the first space cowboy like he kind of led the way for han solo your first malcolm reynolds kind of the take no shit do my own thing. Do my own I don't thing. play by your yeah. rules. And he also, it was interesting with that Star Trek because it wasn't like the pioneer times of, or the exploration time of Enterprise. It was kind of like the Wild West pioneer times of mm-hmm. Star Trek at that point. Mm-hmm. The Federation kind of knew where it was. Um, it was kind of expanding. There was kind of the the fringe. Yeah. Um, so you had some of those far-flung little towns type thing. Almost like the uh, post-industrial area we got ourselves established now let's build on what we have sort of stage of Starfleet. Mm -hmm. And he also uh, didn't necessarily act like a captain all the time to his crew. Like he kind of really fell like back on their expertise and needing them all the time. Like he needed Scotty to get a little bit more juice out of the the warp core. Mm -hmm. Needed Spock to kind of come up with a plan. Spock also kept him in balance too. He was a good, uh, counter to his wild wild ways yeah he was kind of the angel on the shoulder when he was the devil on the shoulder mm-hmm, so. for sure and then he had sulu and so yeah he had all the the crew that he kind of fell back on to use where i found like picard kind of could have done his own thing and probably could have kept the ship going you just dist- you definitely get the idea that picard didn't need everybody in the bridge yeah you know uh still to this day I've always wondered what Donna Troy does. You know, <laughs> she, was she has just, a seat there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like of all the seats, how come the guidance counselor gets a seat at the table? Yeah. <laughs> and how come she get, gets her own uniform that's purple or mauve or whatever every time? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, her, her giant onesies. So I like that choice, and I don't disagree with that choice. Uh, for me, it was always Picard. Uh, I liked how he operated with a certain level of military precision. Unlike Kirk, who was clearly friendly with his crew, Picard cut himself away, mm-hmm. except for his little fr- uh, fling with Beverly Crusher. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. You distinctly got the idea that Picard didn't need at least 80% of the people on that bridge, let alone the countless families and other service personnel on Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh I did like, uh, as the series progressed, he seemed to start to break out of that shell. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a, a number of episodes where he would be on a planet by himself. Can't remember the name of an episode, but he was locked, in, trapped in a cave with a woman who in the end was trying to, like, force him to have sex with her. And I remember the line of her screaming at him, just love me. <laughs> I have no idea why that sticks out in my head. <laughs> but... You know, you always got, you always knew that he was military minded. Mm-hmm. He was a captain before he was anything else. Yeah. He was all about duty. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you knew he was going down with the ship one way or the other. Yeah. And usually not uh, going down by his own hand where 
sometimes Kirk was kind of mm-hmm. fly by the seat of your pants and sometimes burn yourself doing that. But I think it's safer to wear a red shirt around Picard than it is to wear a red shirt around Kirk. Yeah, that's. I think that's <laughs> statistically proven. Mm-hmm. If only because Picard has a red shirt. Yeah, yeah that was kind of the uh, weird switch there where he went from red to gold, or gold to red, sorry. Um, I remember uh, hearing that it had something to do with, uh, I think, the how it looked on camera. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of switched it. Something along the lines that uh, Data's makeup was only good with the yellow for some reason. That it makes sense. Popped too much with the red and didn't work with the blue. And <laughs> he looked too pale with the red. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if it was all about uh, data that why that change happened. But uh, yeah. Well, they also retconned it because when Enterprise started, command officers wore red uh, shoulder flashes. That's true. That is also very true. Oh, good old and, retconning. <laughs> and we'll go back to uh, the newest series, uh, Discovery. So it was a short, uh, what was it, 13 episode season? Yeah, I think 13. Yeah. So what did you think? I really liked it. Yeah. Uh, leading up to it with all the delays and stuff like that, I was starting to get more and more concerned. I really didn't want it to turn into another enterprise. Yeah. So that like that was my first initial huge concern. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to see it just go by the wayside. I love Star Trek. Um, it's by far... Mm, I'm not going to say it's tied with Star Wars, but if I was going to lean on one or the other, I watch a lot more Star Trek than I do Star Wars. Yeah. But I really wanted the best for it. And leading up to it, it was just mired in trouble. You know, people pulling out, show getting delayed. And then there was this weird uh, social movement where people were comparing Klingons to Trump supporters and you had people <laughs> screaming at the top of their lungs because, oh, it's a female captain because they have to have a female captain. It's like, well, what does it matter? If the story's good, ultimately, what does it matter? Yeah. So I was terrified going into this, but kept the fingers crossed and went in with an open mind. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Like, it uh, kind of took the fresh, new approach that uh, the Star Trek movies brought. So you start getting, like, the swearing, and you get your first F-bomb in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> you get your first Klingon sex scene. It was a de- definitely a different tone. Yeah. I liked, uh, and I liked the change of tone. I, I liked the more, let's say, adult-oriented Star Trek. Mm-hmm. The only real issue I had was the portrayal of the Klingons. Okay. Um, I like myself a good mulleted, leather-clad warrior. Like, warrior-class system. Uh Um, You know, uh, funny mullets and uh, costumes aside, the way they portrayed the Klingons in this one, it was like a combination of Conehead and Klingon. Okay, I see that. It it was a little, because I walked in with a clear bias, Mm -hmm. it was a little off-putting at the beginning. The only uh, other issue I had, maybe it's the prosthetic teeth that they wear, Klingon seemed a very mushy language. Yeah. Like the the old Klingon, it was harsh, it was sharp. It was on the verge of sounding almost, I want to say German? It was very guttural. Yeah. yeah. Like it was a very, very, very rough language. And now it's almost like an Arabic kind of language. Yeah. So I wonder about that. 
Yeah, it's a lot more throat in uh, this newer Klingon. Yeah, and I had a hard time at first getting into the uh, it being Klingons with how they look because how all of the other Klingons are portrayed. Like when they first showed them, you're like, oh, oh that that's going to be the Klingon for this series? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And I thought J.J. Abrams also went really far out when he did his Klingons in uh, Star Trek Edge of Darkness. Yeah, that's right. And they were already very different looking, but they were more Klingon looking than these Klingons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I'm not a huge fan of the outfits that these Klingons wear. That kind of looks almost like a medieval gesture type thing with the frilly necks. And it's like almost like a Shakespearean type thing. Yeah. Yeah. They do a lot of weird, almost looks like the Victorian era in Game of Thrones had a love child. Yeah. But I guess they were kind of going with the Game of Thrones idea with the, the warring houses and so maybe they just drew a little too hard on that inspiration. I think so. And it's it's well established that the houses always warred amongst each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody's got a bigger stick than the next guy. But that was like my really only real beef at the beginning. Yeah. The the other thing that kind of surprised me was that they were going to use it to launch, uh, what was it, CBS On Demand? Yeah, their uh, streaming service. And like in Canada, we just lucked out. We just got it on space. Yeah. And I know that they got a grant from the government of Canada for filming. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that kind of was a prelude to us just not having to pay for the service. Yeah, very well could be. But I was really concerned about that. I mean, I also laughed at it too, because really in this day and age, you don't need Netflix to watch a Netflix exclusive. No. There is some weird website that will show you what you want to see. Yeah, there's pretty much a way around anything. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know how many... CBS uh, subscribers, they actually got out of it, but uh, I know their numbers went way up. Yeah, but I think the real tests are going to be who sticks around between the end of season one and the beginning of season two. That was a lot of talk that I've heard on uh, the internet. Was a lot of people are just going to cancel their subscription and unless they have something really really good that keeps people around, like there's enough, like there seems to be an abundant amount of streaming services. But at least something like Netflix. I mean, I subscribe to Netflix. You subscribe to Netflix. Yep. There's enough original content there, for the most part, that's pretty good. Yeah, and there's so many like streaming services coming out. There's gonna be a Disney one now because Disney's pulling out of Netflix. So it's just, yeah. I guess, maybe all the Marvel movies are gonna go over there. I don't know. That was the talk, but there's other talk that some of the Netflix exclusive Marvels, yeah, like the uh, like uh, Jessica Jones, The Defenders, Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, they might stick around because Netflix bankrolled that Yeah. with Marvel. That's fair. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right with that. But on the same token, that bubble's going to burst. Yeah. You know, uh, not everybody wants to pay for six, seven different streaming services just to watch their favorite shows. At 10 bucks a pop. Or At more. 10 bucks a pop, plus pay a cable subscription. Yeah. Plus have the cable company come to you and say, oh, by the way, we also have uh, streaming services. Yeah, especially, like, Nowadays, uh, cable subscriptions are going down just because of like Netflix by itself. So Netflix by itself, and again, like I said earlier, there's no show I can't find on the internet. Yep. I mean, you have to make sure you have good virus protection, or else you're walking away with computer herpes. <laughs> but you know, there's uh, you don't need HBO Go to watch Westworld or Game of Thrones. It's just not needed. So it's kind of a delicate balance where eventually people are just going to say, "Hey, I'm paying this much for the internet." I have a smart TV. Why should I pay you for anything? Yeah. 
And so back to uh, Discovery, it's interesting with the uh, introduction of the Spore Drive when all of the series that have come before it that take place after it, you never hear anything about it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that technology just kind of phases out at some point and gets forgotten. So one of the going theories that I've heard, I'm kind of inclined to believe, is that Discovery was the founding of Section 31. Sector 31? Section 31. Section 31. Yep. So all the stuff that's going on now is going right under the rug when they're done. Okay. That's why um, you can see in Lorca's office the, the Gorn skeleton. Mm-hmm. According to Starfleet Records, quote, 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 uh, the first meeting with the Gorn was uh, him and Kirk throwing foam rocks at each other. Okay, yeah, that's a detail I didn't even notice. Yeah, it's in his office. You can see the skeleton standing there. Okay. Uh, the other theory, because Discovery's call number is uh, 1031, okay. there's another idea that it might go to Section 31. The other thing, they, and they brought this up in the first episode, they never touched on it again, which kind of irritated me, were the officers with the black badges. Yes. So I have heard some theories about that, that they're either Section 31's already established and that's just kind of their thing, but for a covert kind of section of Starfleet, why do they have their own <laughs> identifying markers? Uh, another thing was uh, that it could be uh, something about the temporal agents or temporal officers that are on Discovery from the future. Once again, it doesn't make much sense, but... Um, also, I noticed in Discovery, there's just a ton of different variations of the uh, the badges, so it could just be another different variation. Yeah, that's true. That's very, very true. should be interesting to see if it ever comes up again or if they ever address it. I'm really hoping they don't go too far onto the temporal side. Yeah. Because every, every series does this whole past, future, past, future, past, future thing, and it gets a little muddled down. Yeah, when they came back from the Mirror Universe, it kind of seemed like uh, they were possibly opening up to the idea of it being really heavy in time travel or the multiverse in general. And then I was kind of like, are we going to see sliders in space here? Like, <laughs> it even looked like sliders at first when he's coming back. And yeah. You're kind of like, oh, okay. Although I love sliders, but. <laughs> it was a show that ended too soon. Yeah. We got bad news at the end, but it did on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it's definitely interesting with the spore drive technology. So it we'll, should be interesting to see how they actually end up kind of properly killing, like properly kill that off. Mm-hmm. One of the things when the series was originally coming out, it wasn't focusing on uh, the captain as the main character and the crew in general, like kind of following around different crew members. And said it was really going to fall heavy, heavily on uh, Michael Burnham. I thought that was kind of cool. I was expecting almost a more micro approach to the series instead of the macro approach that every other Star Trek series had, where uh, there's the far-reaching kind of universe beyond the ship. Mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting it was going to be focusing on stuff primarily in the ship, not like DS9, but and it wasn't going to explain everything right away, like. When she first got to Discovery, it was kind of, you didn't know what was going on. You didn't know who to trust. You didn't know who Lorca was. I liked that. Um, the first time that they call out uh, Black Alert, you're like, what the hell is Black Alert? So I, was, I got really pumped when I saw the shit starts floating all over the place. I was like, ooh. So they could have 
went the whole season without explaining too much of that. Like they could have just had her going around the ship trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Like little weird things here and there. It's almost like say uh, the TV series fringe, but on star Trek. I, I found that the first time we saw black alert, when Michael Burnham was on the ship, it was almost treated with this real spooky, you know, um, even Tilly didn't want to tell Burnham what was going on. It was like, oh shit, there's there's some stuff happening on this ship. Yep. And then, oh yeah, by the way, this is the spore drive and this is how it works. And yep. uh, so yeah, they went from not really telling her anything to like kind of welcome yep. the discovery, all this black alert thing. It's it's a secret episode. After, this is how the secret works, and this <laughs> yeah. is where it is, and these are all the people that work with it. Yeah. Well, the second uh, they got the tardigrade. It was just like, yeah, so this is totally how it works. This is what we do, and this is what we're going to be doing from now on. Bye. Yeah, it was just, just bombard us with science, pseudoscience. So uh, um, I would have preferred it to be like more micro. I don't know if other people agree with me. Like They could have had her wandering the ship, and then as far as we know, the ship's in battle. Like You see it getting rocked back and forth, and she's just kind of like trying to figure out what Black Alert is at the time. Yeah. It doesn't, like, it didn't have to jump right into her being the the savior of humanity, redeeming herself all in one season. Like, Well, I found, and this is kind of a problem that Enterprise slipped into, and that is they have to try to feed us real big Star Trek nerds enough. Oh, by the way, remember this, remember this, remember this. Like, mm-hmm. it, it does get bogged down with a few too many Easter eggs. And you've got to make sure that everybody watching it, you got to appeal to the people that have never watched Star Trek or aren't really into it, as well as appeal to those of us who are, like I said, just nerds from hell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is, we've been waiting for this. So you got to try to appeal to both. So you can't, if, if you've never watched Star Trek or you're not really into Star Trek, you could probably do that, mm-hmm. you know, and just treat it as its own show. But if, for those of us that are really into Star Trek, it's like, well, how the hell are we going to make these guys happy? Knowing that they're watching us with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah, it's very hard to make uh, make us happy. And sometimes I almost wonder why they even bother trying, because usually they fail. <laughs> but they did not too bad with Discovery, though. So no, but, I'm happy with how it turned out, but I also would have liked to have seen it turn out the way I was originally thinking it was going to. But uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. It was a good show. Looking forward to season two. Yeah, to me, I'm looking forward to two. But I found the first season was rushed. It was. Like they had to give us as much as possible mm-hmm. to keep us hooked for number two. And so the first episode, actually, I, I when I first saw it, I wasn't really impressed by it. I thought it was, uh, it came across very like a cheap facsimile of Star Trek. Like it almost seemed like episode one was written by fanboy writing fan fiction. It was kind of like, here's all these Star Trek buzzwords. This is happening. They, yeah. They walked the little Star Trek uh, symbol in the sand, and it was like okay, yeah, yeah, the the, the prologue episodes. There. Yeah, it was. It did it did have a completely different feel, mm-hmm. and I understand that it was the prologue to the the series, the season. Yeah, but you're right. It was kind of a. Usually, it, it was weird how they did it. Yeah, pilots always, well, not always, but pilots sometimes have that uh, weird quality that disappears by. Episode two. Yeah. Once they kind of find their feet. And yeah, I agree with you. It did feel really rushed. Like, um, they're really building up this Klingon conflict. 
And then it almost seemed like they changed their mind and then all of a sudden rushed <laughs> out of the Klingon conflict and handed it off. And yeah, before we it. sat down uh, to record today, I was thinking about that. And I was going to make a note on it. And it's just like, when we started out, it was all about the Klingon conflict. Conflict, conflict, conflict. Yeah. And then here's the curveball. We're going to the mirror universe, totally mirror universe. And when we get back, oh shit, we got two or three episodes left. We got to wrap up this war. Yeah. They could have kept that war going into season two and had a tidier wrap up then. Oh, by the way, here's how you solve the problem. Have a good Which, one. Bye. Yeah. I'm not 100% satisfied on that. That problem went away. Like they build up how the Klingons are like this relentless species that once they taste your blood, yeah. they're all in until they're done. And, and borderline like massively xenophobic. Yeah. Anything that's not a Klingon needs to go. Yeah. And it was ended by. We put a bomb in your core, and we've given a Klingon the controls to the bomb. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure that's a nice tie-up. <laughs> like I guess uh, Russia with Trump. Yeah. Put a bomb in your your country and <laughs> gave it to Trump. There you go. Don't blow yeah. it up now. But no, I yeah, I agree. And it was kind of that's something they could have went on for a long time with because when they came back from the mirror universe and they were losing the battle and it was six months later and Starfleet was a little bit more... Uh, they were certainly playing the defense. Yeah, they are playing the defense, and they were uh, unforgiving. Like, when you see uh, Admiral Cornwell beam onto the bridge with a gun, or like, a razor already drawn <laughs> with Sarek. That was a pretty cool scene. Yeah. But, yeah, all of a sudden, was it two episodes long, and then they fixed it with bombing? I, yeah, I think so. It was something along those lines. It was really, really rushed. Yeah. We, we could have... They could have gone right into the mirror universe mm -hmm. right off the get go with one bad jump. Yep. They they could have they could have spent the whole series on the mirror universe. Yep. And then when they got back, uh, find out that the Klingon. I mean, it would have made a good cl uh, cliffhanger. Yeah. You know, the Klingons occupy most of Federation space. Oh shit! What are we gonna do? And end the episode and wait for season two, and then have season two almost Starfleet uh, freedom fighters. Mm -hmm. slowly pushing these Klingon strongholds back until they can fight their way to Kronos. Yeah. Because the idea, like, I, I appreciate the fact that the ship can jump. Yeah. So the idea that it jumps to Kronos, yeah, what can you do? Yeah. Uh, but there's this notion that, like you said, in, in what, two episodes? Yeah. It was just tied up. Done. The war's over. Ta-da. Like, yeah. Missed opportunity. Like, they could have really <laughs> went into that. I think... I, I know they want to move on to other things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the Romulans to deal with. Yep. There's the, the new captain coming in. Yep. Like, there's all this kind of stuff going on. But I I would hate to think the rushed ending is a sign of things to come. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do a story arc, you know, finish the story arc. But don't be jumping all over the place. They had, they had too many fires lit all at once. You know, you had the Spore Drive. You had the Mirror Universe. You had the Klingon War. You have this being like a weird, there was only one other ship out like this, and it's gone. Yeah. So there, there was so much going on. Uh, I think in the frenzy, that story arc got lost. They yeah. probably could have gone 15 episodes instead of the, just the 13 with the rushed ending. Yeah, and I, I do think they kind of started getting into the Klingon conflict and then realized, oh shit, this uh, doesn't happen until really Kirk's time where he's a uh, captain. Because there's more of the Klingon conflict then. Uh, but by Kirk's time, isn't the uh, Battle of Kittimer and then the Klingon War over? Top of my head, I don't remember. Because I know Kirk, uh, I think it was in the third movie, 
Uh, that's when he gets his big hate on for the Klingons when they kill his son. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure leading up to that, the Klingon war is over, but it's more of a cold war. Okay, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, well, it's possible then. Um, uh, what did you think of Discovery adding a bunch of new species? Well, I think that's just kind of par for the course. Yeah. You know, every time, <clears throat> the best part about a uh, series in space, but there's really no rules for what's out there. Yeah. You know, if you can unthink it, have at it. I know a lot of fans are kind of hating on the fact that they introduced a couple new species as like primary species, like uh, Kelpians and all that. Um, also, there's that speculation on what that one bridge crew member is. The, the weird android, possible, yeah. maybe an alien, maybe an android. Yeah, like they were saying that if she's an android, she's a better android than Data was. And <laughs> yeah. Data was top of the line when uh, TNG came out. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then also how this series ended with uh, the Enterprise going nose to nose with it. It's going to. They had to do it. I, I don't think it was necessary. It wasn't necessary because how are you going to like lead off season two with that? Like, is it just going to be, hey, do you have this part? We're needing it. Next. Okay, we're gone. <laughs> and then that's it. I think they're, the way I've, I, I, I perceive the articles that I read, uh, they're going to help the Enterprise out at the time it's being uh, piloted by Pike, Christopher mm-hmm. Pike. They'll go, give a hand, piss fart around with this, that, and the other thing. And then that's it. Because the Enterprise has stuff to do. That has nothing to do with the ship. So it, it might make its own little cameos. Yeah. But I think uh, that's just another one of those we got to appeal to the carry nerds of the world that really just kind of want to see it. Yeah. And then we'll just put it away. I'm not going to lie. I was like, when they were saying that the uh, the number was 1701, I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. It's Enterprise. And then I'm like, but wait, what? What are they going to do with this? And do you have any idea who the new captain's going to be? A Vulcan, or at least they're picking the new captain up on Vulcan. You think that, uh, I hope not, uh, that it's going to be like Spock doing a little test run or something? Ah, no, I don't think they'd be that silly. That would be such a silly thing to do, because at this point in time, uh, Spock should be out of Starfleet. Well, no, because Spock was the science officer under Pike. Yeah, that's true. So they may get really silly and have Spock on the Enterprise right now. I don't think they will, mm. but I mean, I wonder if they'll uh, have a cameo from Spock in season two. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I'd really rather not have anything to do with the Enterprise crew. Yeah, like only because I like it as its own standalone uh, ship. I don't think they need to lean on the original series. The idea that the Enterprise is out there, it's great. Yeah, but I don't. I think they would be doing themselves a disservice if they lean on the original series too much. It would be all right if there was like the odd tip of the hat here and there, but like if they start kind of really throwing Easter eggs out, then it's just going to be too much. Well, that and those of us who are watching like eagle-eyed little hawks, <laughs> when you start playing the Easter egg game, you start having people call you out on canon disruptions. And yeah. if there's, I mean, geeks and nerds as a whole, uh, we are the greatest thing for guaranteed cash flow. Yeah. But we're all watching for you to make your mistakes, and we're going to call you out on it. Yeah, there was uh, I was on Reddit. Somebody was watching very closely. And on the last episode when uh, they showed uh, Kronos blowing up, mm-hmm. and then it was like end simulation. Did you see that part? Mm-hmm. And did you see how they spelt simulation wrong? 
<laughs> no, I did not. Yeah. Not that my spelling should be taken into consideration. Uh, yeah. So they threw in an extra L or extra T somewhere in there. Oh, Jesus. And nobody caught that and it aired. <laughs> and yeah, so you can tell that there's nerds out there watching it almost frame by frame. Yeah. And they will pick up on everything and anything out of continuity, any kind of like, you get even the nerds that are following like the technical specs and mm. they'll like be like, oh no, that uh, warp core at that time doesn't have that output. Sorry. <laughs> you got those guys out there too. So, well, that was uh, part and partial to the J.J. Abrams movies. Yep. When they were going on about the size and shape and design and specs of the Enterprise, everybody said, well, no, you can't have that. And then everybody came, oh, no, 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 different different universe. Because of this happened, they totally waited an extra hundred years to go to space. <laughs> it's other nonsense. Hmm. You know, but it's but it's like I brought it up originally. When you first see Lorca in his mm-hmm. office, there's a giant uh, Gorn skeleton. Yep. That technically shouldn't be there. But the producers have said as the series goes on, they will appease the canon. Okay. Shall we say they'll show how certain things fit into the canon? Mm-hmm. And I'll play along. Sure, why not? But like you said, uh, there are people out there just watching and waiting for mistakes. If yeah. only to call them out on it. Yeah. And... Uh... What are your thoughts on uh, Lorca? Do you think he's gone for good? I hope not. I know they said that Jason Isaacs is, uh, mm-hmm. he, he's even said that he's done, but he was such a fresh, different role. I I liked his version of Lorca. I liked him as a captain. I liked his attitude. Um, I liked the darkness and mystery surrounding him yeah. for obvious reasons when we found out where he came from. I As the actor... He did a lot of shit talking at the beginning of the series. He did. He had a whole lot to say about the fans. It's just, man, you're, you're kind of, you can't be doing that to things like Star Trek. Like, talk about, <clears throat> lie to me. Just lie to me. Tell me how great you feel to be in that role and how much of an honor it is to play in this series. And just lie to me. You can go home. You can scream into a pillow. You can bite a towel or do whatever you got to do. Yeah. But Put just, on your Lucius Malfoy costume. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. But there's there's no need for those shenanigans. No. Um, but no, ultimately, I did enjoy him. He was, uh, he was a very different uh, Starfleet captain. Yeah. And then his uh, kind of untimely demise at the end. I was a little heartbroken on that one. I didn't want to see him go. So you never know what how they could write him back in. They could say that there's the... Uh, the, what's the, how do they explain it? The Prime Universe? Yeah, the Prime Universe the Prime Lorca. Universe Lorca, he could be uh, kicking around somewhere. There could be, well, they have the time travel thing. Like They have, uh, they might still have Harry Mudd's time travel watch or whatever he had there. Oh, the crystal thing that he had? Yeah. Did they destroy that? I don't remember. No, I don't think so. No, so they might have that still. Time travel is rife through Star Trek, um, ultimately. And I thought of this one day, and here's my little fan theory. Is Lorca going to the uh, Mycenaeal Network? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's the uh, retcon Q. Maybe Ooh. he's the Q origin. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. So you never know. Like maybe the Q exists already. Maybe it doesn't. But him going into it, maybe he uh, sure kind of transcends, becomes something new. So does a Doctor Manhattan and learns to pull his molecules together. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, we nerd sign us that shit. Right <laughs> we 
we can make the lines fit. No problem. Yeah. We can be right for the show, too. Um, yeah, that's my little <clears throat> fan theory. I don't, I don't think that they're going to uh, completely throw away a character like uh, Lorca. I think you might see him in flashbacks. You might see little nods to him. If he says he's done, I don't know. Maybe there's enough money for them to offer him for him to go back, but I doubt it. Yeah, who knows? Because you never got the impression that he enjoyed playing. Like, he played the role great, but in talking to him during interviews and stuff like that, you never got the idea that he was really overtly passionate. It was a job for him, and he gave it his all, and you got to admire that. Yeah, he approached it as a professional actor, <clears throat> not a, a Star Trek fan. Really, so. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't there because he was a fan of the series. He was there because it's his job. And, I mean, he did a great job, but I don't think he'll be coming back. Yeah. I think we'll see uh, the Terran Emperor before we see him. Because yeah. she's still kicking around, doing her thing. Yeah, so I wonder if she's going to have any kind of impact on uh, Star Trek canon now that she's kind of slipping in and out. Possibly. I mean, she could be an antagonist somewhere along the line stirring up problems with Starfleet because they've kind of gone back through the records and just said, oh, look who's back. Faked her own death. Mm -hmm. And so now she's out there. And most of Starfleet outside of one or two admirals, as far as they're concerned, she's back. I'm looking forward to more portrayals of things like the Romulans. I really want them to do something with them. Just not crazy, like, redesigns of the makeup. I don't want that. No. No, we, they they played it pretty safe with the Vulcans. Mm -hmm. So far, uh, even the Talaxians were pretty standard. Yeah, Andorians, uh, the Andorians were, standard. were were still Andorians. Yeah, but I think we're pretty safe with that. I think the big the big change was the Klingons. That's true. Yeah, but that's like the most amount of prosthetics, makeup, all that jazz. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've uh, exhausted all of our Star Trek uh, knowledge for one night. I feel spent. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, once again, thanks to the 300 followers we have now. Uh, if you want us to talk about anything specific, uh, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can send us an email at uh, nerdingpodcast at gmail.com. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, see you later. Bye, guys. <laughs>